0: Hey everybody, this is Andre and I'm here with Michael and on today's episode of Radically Normal we'll be discussing God's call to action to Moses and continue our time in the book of Exodus. Hope you guys enjoy this episode.
1: Call to action, that's a different introduction for us. You know, recording today is probably not a great idea. Today's actually the first day of law school for me, but this is a great passage and we can take some time off of reading for
0: this kind of a long passage but I think it'll get us ready for when we do like 5 chapters in one episode cuz I know Michael likes to go and you know hit into those 40 minute marks so we'll have to work on uh, uh down, getting down on, on time as we go along this season.
1: Well, maybe we'll have to go back to the the timer that we introduced in our very 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 first episode.
0: Oh, you're talking about uh you're talking about the the history lesson part. I mean, yeah, that would be a uh, that might, that might be a, that might be something we have to do, maybe set a 35, 30 minute time or something like that. And uh, go from there, especially with, you know, keeping on pace of different, uh, you know, lengths of episodes with different number of chapters and all that kind of stuff, especially since, you know, Exodus has a far larger amount of chapters than any other book we've, we've attempted to go at, and we've never really done more than two chapters in one episode, I don't think.
1: Right, but we are going to do three and four this week, five and six next week, and then once we get to the plagues, we'll get a little bit, uh, we'll do a, a little bit more going seven through ten probably, or that's the goal anyways. Um, you know, every time I read this passage and I hear God tell Moses to take his sandals off, I always just picture Moses wearing jandals, and then I think back to middle school when jandals were in for like two years, and I had a pair of black jandals.
0: That's that's very unfortunate that that you said that man but I mean and when you you know when you first said jandals I was thinking of Birkenstocks for some reason no,
1: no 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 Birkenstocks are awesome. I had those on today.
0: Yeah, but then I I quickly when you said black and then I remembered what jandals actually were and yeah, I don't think Moses was wearing jandals.
1: <laughs> hey, remember they were Jesus sandals. So There we go. Maybe he was. Maybe He was. So last week, we talked about chapters 1 and 2. So we saw that a pharaoh had forgotten, uh, an unnamed pharaoh had forgotten uh, Joseph and all the good that Joseph did. And so there was uh, fear about how the Israelites had grown in number, how God had made them fruitful. And then uh, how he oppressed them. And then uh, we had the midwives saving Hebrew children's lives. And then we had uh, Moses Uh, born and then carried on the tabah just like no Noah's ark and then he grew up in the wisdom of the Egyptians according to Stephen in Acts 7 and then he became a shepherd at age 40 Uh, or he was out in the wilderness at age 40 he met his wife and then we concluded last week talking about how Israel groaned and God heard their cry
0: yeah that's a really really good recap and I guess in terms of introductions, uh, we'll keep it short for this week and just jump in uh, to this chapter, chapter th- chapters three and four um, that we'll be covering today, um, and and really see how uh, out of this groaning of uh, Israel we uh, get to kind of you know see what um, you know God has in store for for their uh, rescuing uh, from from slavery.
1: You know, often a text has either super practical advice, so you think of the book of James, it seems to have a lot of practical stuff, uh, like in James chapter 3 about the tongue or something like that, and then you think of books that it just seems like you read it and it's super dense theology and it's telling you a lot about God's nature. And then there's those few texts where it's just plain and simple, there's clear direction on both of those things, and I just feel like that's one of these That's one of these passages, like Exodus 3 has so much about God's nature, and it also has so much that just feels like straight application to the Christian life. So I'm really excited to get in. I met with a couple guys, a couple friends on the OU baseball team this spring, and they wanted me to do a little bit of Bible study with them. And this is the one that I picked as well. So I think this is an incredible passage.
0: Yeah, I actually haven't looked at your application yet, so kind of excited for that. And so we'll see uh, if you sprinkle it in or uh, it'll be sprinkled in. Yeah, sweet. Uh, so we'll go from there and uh, so let's jump right into to chapter 3. I'll let you uh, Kick it off.
1: Yeah, so we see at the beginning just to read the first verse Let's get a little bit of context. So Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro who we're gonna see later in the story as well. And so he's important So he's the priest of Midian He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God So Horeb is the same as Mount Sinai, which is the more common name that people will say so uh, Sinai uh, is the name of of what people say when they say Israel came to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. So they come to Horeb, but remember that he sees a burning bush and this is really a tree. So I think it's the Bible project, guys, but they talk about how this is a sinah tree in the Hebrew. Seneh, S-apostrophe-N-E-H. And sinah sounds like Sinai, it has the same root letters. So they say Horeb is later named Sinai after this tree, this burning bush, which I think is really, really cool. And we could talk about this forever. So what do you think about, like, what's this burning bush? What's significant about the bush?
0: Yeah, so I, I think I see uh, two really significant or, or interesting things uh, that really stuck out to me. Um, I would say this, the second one, chronologically, like in, in the order of what you're reading, um, is maybe the, the most, uh, I would say, the one that was the most you know impactful to me or just stuck out to me the most. Uh, which was, you know, when you know God began to speak uh, to Moses and, you know, he, he told him not to look, not to, you know, turn directly into the sight of this uh, burning bush to take his sandals off. It's kind of, we've already mentioned that a little bit. Uh, Michael mentioned uh, that Moses may be taking off these, these yeah, jandals. Yeah, Moses and um, the jandals. Um, yeah, and, and God basically, uh, you know, calls out this space that Moses is about to enter as holy ground. And I thought that was you know, one, one thing that, you know, we should touch on. And then uh, the second, which actually happens first in in the text um, is um, this aspect of this burning bush um, and how we, uh, you know, and what we might think is this, you know, something that's on fire. Um, But then this, you know, language of it not being consumed also really stuck out to me. And I I think that, uh, you know, both of these two things to get kind of, you know, work together to um, show us a little bit about uh, about God and, and his character, really, uh, show us um, a few things, I think. Um, and, and just really, uh, the main thing is just, you know, how set apart he is from Moses. And, you know, just you you see this instance of something that Moses has to, to go about doing to really be able to go into this space of being able to communicate and even get these instructions um, to be able to be used by God to, to, you know, do something greater than himself. And it just shows how, you know, how different and distinct, uh, you know, Moses is from God.
1: Yeah, that's so good, especially how he's, he's so different. God is holy, he's set apart, but I have a couple other things with the fire, I guess. So one is that the fire, like Andre said, the fire is self-sustaining. It doesn't need to consume. Every other fire you've ever seen, if you light a fire in your fireplace, it has to consume the wood to actually sustain itself. But God's fire doesn't. So we see in God's own nature, he is self-sustaining. A lot of people talk about God's aseity, which just means he's separate from the creation. God's sustenance, or being, or life, or, uh, or just personhood. Being it is not dependent on all at all on the creation or anything else And then the other thing is this is kind of looking forward in the story But since you know Moses wrote the whole book he connects themes throughout it So this this fire which denotes or or marks God's presence is what's gonna fill the Holy of Holies in chapter 40 Literally at the very end of the book Uh, the fire is gonna fill the Holy of Holies And so Moses is connecting Uh, themes for us. And the last thing I'll say, because Andre already got all the way to the Jandals, is that he calls out Moses, Moses. And we're supposed to already be seeing how significant of a figure Moses is, because the last person God said uh, their name twice to was Abraham, 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 when he was up on the mountain, I think in Genesis 22, but that could be wrong. So we're seeing a lot of significant themes that are going to point us to Genesis and later in the story, which I think is really cool.
0: That's, That's really, really good. And then, you know, this... Kind of this last point I want to make from verses one through six, um, is that you know while, um, you know really before you know we see this introduction of God, you know, to Moses, you know, but at first when Moses just sees this burning bush, he says, "Wow, let me go and look at it." Um, in in verse three, you know, he says, "I will turn aside to see this great sight." You know, he seems pretty excited. Uh, he's wants to find out more about what's going on. But then in verse six, uh, we see that Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. So we see that, you know, he begins to understand the significance and magnitude of what he's really experiencing here. And that's kind of contrasted, you know, this potentially, you know, Moses being afraid to look at God, you know, he, you know, he's, you know, really aware of, you know, how, you know, important and, you know, how great and holy God is, you know, from this, You know, from even looking, uh, trying to look at this fire, you know, he's having to hide his face. Um, But then, you know, thinking back to chapter 2, you know, when we see that, um, you know, the people in Egypt, you know, Israel, they're groaning um, in in verse 23 of of chapter 2. And then here in verse 7, we see that, um, you know, it says that the Lord... You know, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in, in Egypt and I've heard their cry. You know, so we see that, you know, on one hand, we see this mighty power and, you know, this, um, this, you know, feeling of fear that Moses has. But then also we see uh, how, you know, God, you know, hears the cries of of his people and how, you know, he is, you know, a caretaker and, you know, wants to, um he know it says that he knows of their sufferings, right? You know he is, you know, really uh, connecting with them in that way. You know, despite you know this holiness and uh, these this, these feelings of fear that you know Moses also has,
1: and, and that contrast is just so great. That's so good. I love the contrast because uh, it's just showing. This is the part where I'm just like, it shows so much of God's nature. So we've already seen He's self-sustaining and He's holy, and then now we're seeing. So in five through seven. Moses can't come near him, and then he's the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. So he's he's not just in charge of this moment, but he's sovereign over all of Israel's history. He's the covenant maker God. But now, and then he's overseen the affliction of his people. Then, chapter, or sorry, verse 8 says, God says, I have come down to deliver them. So God's not just up there floating about distant from us, but he's come down to us. So he's both transcendent, over over all, but he's also imminent. He's present with us, and that's the truth with Jesus or with the reality today. God is sovereign over everything, but Jesus has descended to uh, take on our sin, our debt, and then he's given us the spirit so god is both still tr- today transcendent and imminent so again we're just really seeing who god is and then how that affects his plan because to keep going in verse 8 he's going to deliver them out of the hand of the egyptians that's going to be all the way through chapter 14. and then he's going to bring them this is i mean we don't even hit this till joshua he's going to take them to to a land flowing with milk and honey uh, where the canaanites and the hittites and all these other nations and peoples are and so then he says he's going to send Moses to Pharaoh. And we kind of enter a new section because now we're not just seeing who God is and how Moses is kind of around God, but now we see how God is going to actually use Moses.
0: That's really good. And, and you know, the crazy part is that, you know, Moses, I mean, not Moses, God begins to lay out, you know, this plan. He, uh, you know, he he reminds, or not reminds, but, you know, um, shows and, and and tells Moses, you know, um, that he is the God of, of his forefathers, right? You know, that's really going to, Resonate with Moses, and then you know he begins to speak to him about this land flowing with milk and honey, and you know these promises that, you know, were made you know to Abraham, and you know we see you know this plan begins to unravel, and and God begins to begin,s to reveal Himself and this great plan to Moses, and you know begins to to tell him like as Michael said, you know how Moses would able to play a part into this, right? And you know we see this great plan, this you know. Magnificent God begin to reveal himself. We see all these things and then, you know, we see that, you know, Moses begin to begins to have these doubts um, And, you know, G- God is trying to lay this out plain simple to him and then, you know, his first response um, In verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So we begin to see these doubts um, You know, we saw that he was afraid to to look at God and and now he's, you know, doubting himself and we're going to continue to see him struggle um, to, you know, really believe in himself and really trust in God to do what he says he's going to do.
1: Yeah. And here's some of this application that, that people are probably looking forward to because Moses asks, who am I to do this? Like, who am I to do all of this magnificent work? I'm going to, as we're going to see, do these uh, or perform these plagues. But right now even, who am I gonna, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then we're gonna see all these times that Moses has doubts. He's so reluctant uh, in, verse, in verse 11, 13, and then a few times in chapter four as well that we'll get to, but he's so reluctant. My buddy that I led through this, I walked through this book with a buddy, he said, Moses is such a crybaby in these passages. But look at this. So Moses asked God, who am I? To, like, I can't do this possibly. But God doesn't go, and this is true today too. God doesn't go, look at all you've done. You've studied or you've studied the wisdom of the Egyptians, you've seen the burning bush, you've done all of these different things. You've found yourself a wife, you've grown up in a great household. He doesn't define it anything by what Moses can do. He doesn't define Moses' ability to go through life or to do this leadership role by anything by any of Moses' resume. Not a single piece. Instead he says, in verse 12, I will be with you. So the defining identity for Moses going forward in this hard task has nothing to do with what he's already accomplished or done in his life or whether he's equipped or not. It's solely dependent on God being present with him. And the same thing is true for today. It's not dependent on our own resume. If God is present, then I mean, to use the verse, to use verses out of context, but if God is present, literally we could do anything. If God is present, then like we can do what we feel God is calling us to even if we feel inadequate, but if it's based on our own strength, we can't do anything. So that is where I feel like the text gets really applicable, uh, for literally anybody this early in the passage.
0: Even as he begins to have these doubts about his speech or any of these things, you know, you know, God continues to, to remind him, um, you know, the important thing is that, you know, he's going to be with them. As you said, he's going to give them the ability to do these signs, uh, to do these miracles. Um, And, you know, he's telling him exactly what he needs to say, what he needs to do so that, you know, both so that, you know, God may be revealed to, uh, to Pharaoh, but also that, you know, he may be revealed, um, you know, to, um, to, you know, Israel, to God's people that, you know, he can be, um, you know, a messenger of this, you know, plan, you know, to both, to both parties, you know, through these miracles, through these signs. Um, and so that people can be aware that God is with Moses and that Moses is to be a deliverer for for them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I like what you said about revelation, like God revealing himself and God showing himself to Israel. Because Moses questions like, what do I say if I go, like in verse 13, what do I say if I go to Israel? Like, who are you? Like, what, what name do I give them? And, he's, and God said to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. And a lot of commentators on the Hebrew will say it could be better translated. I will be who I will be. Well remember God is a self-sustaining we saw that earlier in the passage. Now B, after we've seen God's transcendence, eminence, holiness, God is also free in who he is. He's not determined by anything else. He he will be who he will be. He is right now who he is right now. He is not determined by anything but himself. But what's cool about God's covenants, because remember, he says he's the God of Abraham. We know his covenant today to his people. God's the God of covenants. So he does commit himself to us in his love. So God is not determined by anything, but he still commits himself to a people, which is really, really cool. And, and notice the covenantal language. Like if you don't think covenants are important, and Andre knows they are because he taught a Bible study about them. but. The verse 15, he's introducing God to the people, or Moses is supposed to, in the language of the covenants. He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And the people are going to be thinking of the stories of God making covenant with Abraham in chapters 15 and 17 of Genesis, or God making covenant and renewing it with Jacob. And so the people are going to hear this in terms of the covenants.
0: Yeah, man, that's that's really, really good. And you know, actually, you know, one you know, one funny you know, think to to point out here is that Michael might have a bit of editing to do since we're only using one mic and we both take some turns uh, going <laughs> to and f-
1: uh, from from the wait from the mic. But don't forget the plus: one mic in person is better than two mics and in a different place. Yeah, that's
0: that's really true. We we do see this this language of, of covenant. You know, especially with you know the land that's being talked talked about. You know, God says, you know, I'm going to bring my people out of Egypt, um, and then you shall serve God on this mountain. Um, in verse 12, you know, we see a little bit of, you know, this is what God's going to do for them, and this is what they are expected to do, um, and they're expected to um, serve and to worship God. Um, And then, you know, as Michael pointed out, you know, this continued language of, you know, God expressing um, explicitly who he is, how Moses should uh, portray God properly. Um, And then, you know, we kind of continue on, you know, with this uh, same type of language. Um, And then, in verse nineteen, we see uh, mm-hmm. that God points out, you know, that, you know, you know, and, and kind of this the speaking of uh, of you know this covenantal language a little bit before that actually. In verse seventeen and eighteen, uh, God points out to Moses that you know he wants him to go to Pharaoh and request that God's people may go out into the wilderness. And we see this language of wilderness again, but you know they're they're to go out for three days and they're uh, to sacrifice to the Lord. In verse eighteen, and here we begin to see this unraveling of of how. Uh, This, you know, these conversations between uh, Pharaoh and Moses, who's going to be, you know, inspired by the words of God and, you know, all the actions are going to happen, you know, these plagues that Michael has alluded to. And, you know, God points out to Moses in verse 19 uh, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Um, And then, you know, in verse 20 goes on to say that, uh, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. So we begin to see, you know, what's going to be, uh, what's going to happen uh, in these next few chapters with, you know, with these plagues, um, you know, we will see that, you know, Pharaoh's heart will be hardened um, and that, you know, all these things will, will happen, you know, in response, uh, you know, to Pharaoh not, um, you know, submitting to, to this uh You know these commands from God that Moses is bringing to him, to you know to let these people uh, worship God, to let them serve God, um, and to let them have this relationship. You know, being free from from slavery. And we're gonna you know continue to see this uh, unfold in the chapters to come.
1: That's so good, and I love this. Is what wasn't planned, guys. This is great. Andre finished talking about verse twenty. God or uh, God says, "So I will stretch out my hand," and then further in the verse, after that, He will let you go. Pharaoh will let you go. I don't, I'm not even going to try, it's, uh, I'm not great at pronouncing Hebrew at this point, but the Hebrew word for stretch out, and the Hebrew word for let, are the exact same, and it's almost like the, it could be translated send, like God's saying, I will send my hand and strike Egypt, and then Pharaoh will send you out of his land, and so it's like God, it's like a play on the word, God sending the plagues is going to lead Pharaoh to send out Israel, which is kind of an interesting comment that a couple commentators have made that I've seen. Um, and so Israel is going to get favor in the sight of the Egyptians. We'll see that when they leave the land. They, they leave with a lot of gold, a lot of things that actually I'm pretty sure uh, most scholars think help them build the tabernacle. Um, so they're not going to go empty, and they're going to leave with a lot. That's kind of where we end chapter 3. They're going to plunder the Egyptians. And so we see God glorified both in salvation, he saves his people, but also in judgment. God, God is glorified, as Jim Hamilton puts it. Uh, in salvation through judgment, which is really cool. And then we get to chapter 4, which we get more instances of Moses complaining. Verse 1, they won't believe me. Verse 10, I'm not eloquent. Verse 13, send someone else, he even says. Send someone else. Isn't that crazy? We could have a different Moses. So let's get into this chapter. We have a lot to cover. But yeah, so chapter 3 is done. Now we're going to see Moses given signs that he can go to Pharaoh with. Hold on, man. I still had one more point in chapter 3.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. No, no, I'm I'm kidding. I'm just messing with you. Chapter (laughs) 4, let's jump into it. Um, and so here, you know, as we were kind of talking about a little bit, uh, we see that, you know, as Michael said, Moses continues to not have faith, uh, in this plan. You know, he doesn't have faith in himself. Uh, he has his, his doubts about how this is going to work and, you know, um, you know, God's really going to show him that it doesn't matter how little he may feel that, you know, the big point is what we saw in chapter three, that, you know, the God's actually going to be the one that's going to be, you know, with him going to speak through him, um, You know, if Moses feels like he needs this other person because of his, you know, speech impediment, God will provide that person as well and speak through that person. You know, God's not really worried about uh, Moses's resume or his strengths or weaknesses or whatever, as Michael uh, very eloquently pointed out. But more so, he just, you know, wants Moses.
1: Oh, nice play. You said I eloquently pointed something out, but Moses is about to have his own problems with eloquence. So nice, nice.
0: But, you know, God's, you know, prime, you know, this primary uh, response that he wants from Moses is for Moses to uh, serve, worship God and to, you know, be obedient in this plan. And he's going to show him this, this idea and teach him this idea that, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, how low he may view himself. uh, But really what matters is, you know, this power that is going to be evident because of, you know, what this power that God will entrust him with. And, you know, we see this first with, um, this staff that Moses had. And when, you know, the Lord asked him what's in his hand and, and Moses is confused, you know, that's just a staff. I don't really think that's really going to do much for me. How is this going to give me any kind of great power, um, over Pharaoh and help me, you know, free your people. And then when God instructs him to throw it on the ground, it becomes a serpent.
1: Wait, let me interject one thing here. This Go is my only me. comment so far. You can keep going, but the snake was uh, according to some historians, like a symbol of Egyptian royalty, Egyptian authority, Egyptian power. Like that was a symbol that was big in that land. So Moses just being able to grab the serpent and it transforms right back into something inanimate. Um, that would have shown that like God has power over Egyptian royalty, Egyptian authority, which I think is pretty cool imagery. It's
0: really good, man. But you know, not a snake, it's a serpent. So getting back to the serpent, uh, we see, you know, Moses's fear uh, continue to you know just shine through and and you know you just see how you know how scared he is and how timid and and you know he really feels like he's not really the right person for this job and you know we see that he runs away from the serpent or the snake and then and then you know the Lord instructs him you know he says no pick it up and so we see something that you know can cause this great harm you know this snake that can kill and then we see that you know by this power that is going to be given to Moses Uh, you know, by God, you know, we see that, you know, he can pick it up by its tail and it becomes back into this staff, which, which may not seem like something that can used for much more than, um, than herding sheep. And, you know, we continue to see this, uh, these different signs that God is going to, uh, you know, give to, to Moses, you know, to really, you know, show to the people that he's going to, you know, come to encounter, uh, that God really is the one who sent him. And I'll, I'll let you uh, fill in any other any other points you wanted to make, if you had any.
1: Not much. The only thing that I think is really cool, I pointed this out at the end of last week, but so Moses and Israel, remember Moses' life foreshadows Israel's life. I kind of went into that last week. Just as a recap, they both go through the water of death. Uh, the Remember the, the, the river and then the Red Sea. They are both into the wilderness. Then they both go to the mountain and experience the presence of God. So Moses' story anticipates Israel's narrative. Next, now now see this here, Moses' hand becomes leprous like snow, that's verse end of verse 6, so we're seeing that God also does, doesn't just have authority over Egyptian authority, he has power over impurity and uncleanness, and so God is going to take this impure nation that's defiled in Egypt and he's going to make them a clean people, which is all of what Leviticus is about. Uh, Rob Snyder, who we had on for an episode on Genesis last year, he he's said before that Exodus is God bringing Israel out of Egypt, but Leviticus is God taking Egypt out of Israel. So all that defilement, all that sin, God is making them a more holy people. So I think that's always a good thing to remember connecting uh, Exodus and Leviticus. And so then God restores his hand, and then he gives him one more sign that He's to do when he goes to Pharaoh, which we're going to see next week, which is turning the Nile. Um, We're going to see water turned to blood. And think about all these different creation elements. We have the snake. And now we have this water. God is the God of creation. So Moses is trying to help us remember Genesis uh, all the way through. And then if you don't have anything else, we can jump right into uh, Moses' complaints again in verse 10. Yeah man, go for it. So the number one thing that I think is worth pointing out here, I don't remember which commentator said this, I can't take credit for it. But Moses has a double I right here. He says, I am not eloquent, I am slow of speech. Well then what does Yahweh respond? God says, is it not I, the Lord? That's the end of verse 11. Then in verse 12, I will be with your mouth. So the question for Moses then and for us today is whose eye will matter. The Hebrew play on words there is that there's a uh, battle of the eyes. Whose eye will win? Will it be Moses' complaints? I can't do this. I can't do this. Or is it going to be God's eye? I will be with you. I am going uh, to do this. And so Verses ten and verses thirteen are examples of Moses' complaints again. Numbers four and five, because now in verse thirteen he asks him to send somebody else. But God is kind. God gives him God gives him his brother, uh, Aaron. Yeah, and what's really interesting is that you know in verse
0: uh, twelve, you know God tells Moses that He will speak you know through him, right? So you know we know that Moses, uh, you know, because of you know, God being with him would have been able to do this job himself, but he says, no, not me. Send someone else in verse 13. And then, uh, you know, the Lord in verse 14 says then that, you know, uh, you know, the anger of the Lord was kindled. And so, you know, he says, fine, I'll, I'll let you, someone else go with you. I'm not, you know, Moses could have had this great honor of, of being, you know, spoken through, you know, by God. And, and now there's going to be someone else with him, his brother, you know, awesome. That's, that's really good. And we see that they're now going to go together. Uh, We see that, you know, Moses will, you know, God will speak to Moses. Moses is going to tell his brother of, you know, these plans and what he needs to say. And then Aaron, who is, you know, more eloquent, we could say, is going to be the one to actually speak. And then the one, you know, interesting thing that, you know, I'll let you touch on is then uh, this, this one, uh, one point uh, that was a little bit, you know, confusing to me. And I'm sure maybe some of the listeners might, might think the same as well um, in verse 16, uh, he shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. Um, you know, really stuck out to me. Um, really the way how I kind of interpreted was that, um, you know, because Moses and God have this, you know, communication back and forth, starting from this, from this bush, uh, this burning bush or burning tree, um, you know, Moses is the one who's going to begin to understand how to worship and how to serve God, and then he's going to explain these things uh, to Aaron, his brother, and then Aaron will, you know, speak these out, whereas he's not the one who's truly, you know, speaking directly uh, to God as of now.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Aaron is just Moses' mouth. He's just the mouthpiece, but what the the you shall be as God to him at the end of verse 16 is doing is it's not saying literally, it's not establishing Moses as some deity, it's just establishing Moses more clearly in the role of mediator. Moses continually is going to be the mediator between God and the people of Israel. And then in verse 17, he says, take in your hand this staff. So God basically concludes the section with like, bro, don't forget your staff. And Moses doesn't realize yet, but the staff is gonna be key. This like shepherd tool that just would have been tossed around probably is like now gonna be part of the plagues and it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna part the Red Sea. It's gonna gonna crush Pharaoh and Egypt. Moses just doesn't uh, know it yet. It's like thinking about Egypt as like, the United States or like some 20th century Soviet Union type power and then the other the opposing enemy smaller nation just has a staff but that's what the staff is gonna do and so it's funny that you said that the verse 16 is confusing because the most confusing thing and like maybe the entire book of Exodus is coming up and it's also the weirdest part of the book of Exodus but we're not there yet so I'll just let us get to that naturally
0: and this part uh, you know Jumping into this next section here in verse 18 was really interesting to me. Kind of made me think back to you know our first season when we did Nehemiah. Uh, we see that you know Moses has you know this hurt and he feels this you know pain for what's going on. Uh, God's people are uh, you know needing uh, someone uh, to come and to you know redeem them to help start this restoration. And then you know we see that this plan is being. You know shown to someone who is going to be this uh, deliverer type person and then you know we see that moses has to go and, and you know request to his father-in-law you know can i go to egypt you know he has to ask for permission he has this great call to action from from god but he still needs to go to you know the his uh, earthly authority and request his permission you know it kind of reminded me of of what we uh, saw in nehemiah in, in season one but we see that uh, now moses is going to go Uh, to Egypt, and he's going to, you know, begin to go about, um, begin to go about this plan. And then verse 21, we see that the Lord speaks again to Moses and says, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh, all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So begin to see that now we're starting to set the scene for all of these, uh, plagues that are going to take place. Um, we're, we're really going to see, you know, God's power really shine through and, and see that, you know, despite this, Great power uh, that Pharaoh has, um, you know his armies, uh, this the wealth, you know the food, the resources, all of that. You know none of that matters, um, as Michael kind of pointed out. Despite Moses having this staff, which God points out in verse 17, you know take this staff, which is going to do, you know all of these signs. You know, despite all of that, we see that you know God's power is still going to going to uh, you know be victorious, uh, and we're going to see like all these plagues, you know, begin to take place.
1: Exactly. And kind of something that's uh, key to notice. So you can kind of be in this section and then kind of skim on down until you get to uh, verse 24. But there's something that we can't miss, which is verse 22, right after what Andre talked about in verse 21. The Lord says that Israel is his firstborn son. We cannot, cannot, cannot miss that because Two reasons. I'll go forward and first, and then go backwards because forward is going to feel more applicable. So the first note is that uh, think about Hosea 11, uh, and this is now you may not know that text, but you might know Matthew chapter two around the story of Jesus' birth, and they have to flee um, due to the Herod's uh, due to Herod's like pronouncement of of death for the young children in Bethlehem. And so it says that Hosea 11 is fulfilled, Matthew makes that clear, and it's God calling his son out of Egypt. And so this language is going to resound through the Old and the New Testament about sons. Romans 8 talks about how Jesus being the firstborn among many brothers. So that's kind of going forward, this sonship language, Jesus as the firstborn son, Israel right now as the son of God, but also going backwards, this idea of sonship is kind of portraying Israel as this new Adam, like God started once. Now God, and now Abraham had a lot of similarities as a new Adam, God restarting after Babel, but now we're getting a completely new picture with this entire people group depicted as the sun, as this new Adam through whom God was bringing this plan of redemption to the entire world, um, and so he's gonna, he wants uh, Israel to come out, but not just come out, like people love the let my people go, whatever, and they apply it to random stuff. But it's so that they might serve Yahweh. So the son, just like Adam, just like Jesus, just like us, is to serve God. And if he, if they don't, if Egypt doesn't let them go, the firstborn son will be killed, which we're gonna see way later when we get to the tenth plague. So that's kind of foreshadowing for what's gonna come.
0: Jumping into verse twenty-four, you know, really quickly we see this this uh, interesting interaction. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Between. Z- Zipporah,
1: Zipporah, I've heard both Zipporah and Zipporah, so go Zipporah.
0: for it, uh, performs the circumcision of Moses' son, and we see that Moses was disobedient and not circumcising his son, um, and so we see uh, this um, interesting language of bridegroom of blood, um, you know, showing this relationship, this covenantal relationship between, you know, God and his people, to be expressed through circumcision you know Moses was to be obedient and circumcise his son um, and because he didn't you know this was going th- this section here is going uh, to really show how God is going to you know make Moses um, submit to his authority and submit to you know the covenant uh, that God has you know set in place with uh, Moses's ancestors um, and we really see that that
1: relationship that you know Moses is to is to submit to God's authority. That was a perfect explanation. If you are reading this, and maybe it's the first time, maybe it's the 10th, and you're just like, this is the weirdest text in the entire world. It's so graphic. It's so weird. If you think that, just consider, and yeah, it is super weird. But like, if you go back and read Genesis 17, if you weren't circumcised, you had to be cut off. God can't have his chosen agent for salvation, his mediator, his leader for Israel, to not be following the covenant. So when he, when his wrath shines forth, he get his anger was kindled against Moses, uh, his wife circumcising their son satisfies God's justice, God's anger, God's wrath. So Andre explained it greatly and then we're kind of near the end of the chapter but he's supposed to Aaron's supposed to meet Moses, they greet each other with a kiss kind of like the holy kiss that we concluded second Corinthians with if you're with us at that point. And then so Moses kind of catches Aaron up, just tells them all the signs that they're going to do. And so they gather the people of Israel, the people, the elders, and then the people, the people believe, the people worship. Now we're going to see later in the story that the people don't always do a great job at worshiping and being obedient. And hey, neither do we. But right now that's their response. That's a proper response to what Yahweh is going to do. Any other comments?
0: No, I just think that it's it's really great that, you know, they identify that God has seen their affliction. We see in uh, verse 31 and... You know, we see that, you know, they, they feel seen, they feel heard. Uh, we see that God is with them, uh, you know, through Moses. There's now this plan for their um, deliverance from slavery. And I also want to point out that Michael had put in a schedule to finish recording by 2.30, and it's it's 2.30. And I have no other points, I'll let you uh, finish off if you have any last reflections that or, uh, you know, just applications uh, to the text you wanted to give.
1: Yeah, I kind of sprinkled in a little bit of application, especially in chapter 3. I want to ask, add one more point about chapter 3. If you're just thinking through the two, the two chapters that kind of fit together in the narrative, oh, it's 2.31, dang, not on my schedule anymore. But if you're thinking about God's nature, I said he was both transcendent over the people and he's imminent near with us. He's condescended. He's took on flesh today or in history. And then now he's with us in the Holy Spirit today of his transcendence and his imminence, of him being above and being with us, like what do you or what do we tend to overemphasize? Like what do we tend to reduce? There's religions that overemphasize one and don't emphasize the other, but just like for you personally, like all of us, we can emphasize one attribute of God over the other one, and we need to realize why we need both. This is the picture of who God is, so it's, it's helpful to reflect on like how you view God and which one you may overemphasize or underemphasize and maybe work on correcting that or praying about that. It's super helpful. So that's my only comment. Uh, Next week, we'll do chapters five and six. Moses, who is going to be 80 years old to begin chapter five, which is why uh, Andre doesn't want to be any grand buddies with him, but uh, he's going to be 80. He's going to go to Pharaoh and we're going to see, put into action some of the stuff that Yahweh talked about in this one. So thanks for joining us and we hope you uh, join us next week.